Judges chapter 6 will be speaking on a well-known Bible character that hopefully many of us can, at least I know I can relate with, Uh, Judges chapter 6. And for sake of time, we'll read a a selection of verses in chapter 6, 7, and 8, but we'll read verses 11 through 16 of Judges chapter 6. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was an Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the, Joash the Abizrite. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto thee, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. And the Lord looked on him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. I turn over now to chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. Chapter 7 and verse 1 and 2. Then Jerubal, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. And now turn to chapter 8 and verse 22. Then the men of Israel said unto Gideon, Rule thou over us, both thou and thy son, and thy son's son also, for thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. And Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you, the Lord shall rule over you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful for your goodness to us. Thank you for your rich mercies and blessings that we feel unworthy, but we are promised them because of Christ. And we are so grateful. And Father, as, as we learn from your word, I, I ask that your Holy Spirit would have liberty, as has been prayed that you would give utterance. And Father, I pray that Christ would be exalted. And I do also pray, if there's one in the room this morning who is unsaved, that they would learn of the free gift of salvation in Christ when we come humbly to the cross. Father, May you be exalted. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I love the story of Gideon. and is some, He's someone in the Bible I've been able to relate with uh, because he's somebody, when, when the angel comes to him and he says, Thou mighty man of valor, when you read the verse before it, you don't really get the idea from, from the text. At least I don't. He's, he's threshing wheat behind the wine press and he's hiding. And I love that God uses Gideon in an amazing way 
but I believe that God had to work in his life to make him usable. And just a little bit about us, just this last uh, couple weeks, we've gone from Hope Baptist Church in Dublin to establish a new church, Lord willing, in Galway City, a new Baptist church. And I'll be honest, uh, when the Lord calls us to do anything, uh, people ask me, well, how are you going to do it? And I don't have too many amazing answers. The obvious is that God has to work. And we stare at the daunting task and we feel so feeble, the, the desire of my heart. And I believe the desire of all of our hearts as followers of Christ is that God's hand would be on us and that he would use us and that he would work through us. And I'm encouraged by the uh, verse, 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, which says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. And so while there's a desire in a true believer who's been redeemed by Christ to be used of God, uh, I believe we would naturally pray, Lord, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. What encourages me is that even more than my desire to be used of God, God desires to use me. And it's not a, a self-will, it is a God calling, and I believe God's calling is on all lives, and God is searching. And sometimes I think we, I know sometimes I lose grasp of that. But just a few more verses on that point. Ezekiel 22 says, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. And we're reminded where Christ told his disciples, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send laborers into his harvest. And I'm just reminding you, it's not only that, we want to make a difference for God. God wants to use you. And God wants to use me. And he's looking. And so the great question, if we want to be used of God, and the great question is God wants to use us, why so often do I not feel the hand of God on my life as I ought? And if, if, if God wants to use me, why am I so often distracted even though I'm in ministry, I, I, and my, my profession, for lack of a better word, my calling is I'm in ministry. So often I'm distracted for what God has called me to do. And it is the question for me this morning, and, and the title of this message is, Am I Usable? Am I Usable in God's Work? And I believe God did a great work through Gideon. And God made him usable. We don't find Gideon as a sterling candidate, but God did a great work of grace in his life. But who is it God uses? And uh, first of all, uh, my first point this morning, God uses men who are truly emptied of self, truly humble. Look again in uh, verses 11 through 16. In verse 13, Gideon's response to the Lord's really encouragement, Thou mighty man of valor, I want to use you. You can be used of me. And Gideon said, O my Lord, if the, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles, which our fathers have told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites, verses, verses 14 and 15. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, 
and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And I love that when we look through Scripture and the examples of Scripture and the men God chooses to use, we find a common pattern that God uses unlikely people. And what I find so fascinating is the people God chooses to use, not only do the people around them almost almost sarcastically say, well, why would God choose to use him? And it is so that he might receive all the glory, but much more importantly, it is those people themselves who say, Lord, why would you not choose somebody else? Lord, I am the least qualified. And there is a true emptiness that is present, that must be present for God to work in them. Looking at just a few examples, When God called Saul to be the first king, Saul answered and said, Am not I a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Wherefore then speakest thou so to me? And though Saul was very capable, there was, when he started at least, there was an opinion of him that I am not worthy for God to use me. I don't see how God could use me. There was an emptiness. And even when Samuel rebuked him, Uh, Later, he says, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king of Israel. We see also in David. Then went King David in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? We're reminded also of Moses. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel unto Egypt? And certainly there are more biblical examples we could demonstrate and we could show. But we find that whenever God chooses to use a man or use a person, there's always an emptiness and a brokenness in their lives. And God requires that we be broken. Even uh, the Apostle Paul, God chose Paul. In Acts 9, God told Ananias, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. But Paul writes in 1 Timothy, and he says, This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of who I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth a pattern, show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. And we, I'm just trying to demonstrate through, uh, through scripture that God only uses empty, broken people. And the ambitious man can never be used of God. Now, we qualify that. God can use all men, but I don't believe God will work through somebody who is is not broken and emptied of self. Just a quick point on that. Gideon's sincere emptiness before God manifested itself in true humility before men. Turn to chapter 8, please. Um, And we see a remarkable... uh, tact of diplomacy that Gideon manifested, and certainly a soft answer turneth away wrath, but I believe it was also a demonstration of sincere humility. 
chapter 8, verse 1. And the men of Ephraim said, Why hast thou called us, why callest thou us not, when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites? And they did try with him sharply. And he said unto them, What have I done now in comparison of you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiezer? God hath delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb, and Zeb. And what was I able to do in comparison of you? And their anger was abated toward him when he said that. Now, if I personally had been just used with 300 men to destroy 120,000 men or innumerable, I don't know if I would have been so humble. I might have said, um, uh, Ephraimites, who are you to talk to me? Don't you know I'm the man that God just used? But we find nothing of that in the spirit of Gideon. He submitted himself, and he lowered himself in the, in the, and before his fellow men. And I'm just saying, so often it's easy for me to recognize the importance of humility as a Christian, as a person. Uh, certainly, arrogance doesn't get you very far. And, but we, we cannot feign humility before God and live pridely among our fellow men. I believe there's to be a sincerity, a simplicity. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 18, Paul warns, Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. And so Paul says there's going to be people, false teachers, who are going to present themselves and, and characterize themselves as humble, but they are not humble. And... I don't know who those are, but I also know that very often it's easy for me to speak as if I'm humble and for me to use humble speech, and yet my own heart is searched that I'm not truly humble. But I believe we must come to the place that where, where as, to the example of Christ, which in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, you know the passage well, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made into the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto the cross, even unto death. And my point simply is, Christ, it wasn't so much Christ's words that were humble, though they were humble, it was his actions that were humble. And as we just uh, look, finished looking at Gideon's humility that it was because of his humility that God was able to use him it is certainly needs to be brought out that though Gideon was empty and he says Lord how can you use me don't you see me hiding behind the wine press you called me a mighty man of valor how could you use me though that was his his opinion he still needed to be humbled because in chapter 7 verses 1 and 2 God says you're going into battle with 30,000 men and if you win the battle your way, the way you've planned, you're going to take the credit. And I'm simply saying that I believe humility is not a work that we do in of ourselves and certainly we have to admit we never attain the place of humility. I never come to the place where I think I'm humble, obviously. And so it's not that I'm seeking to be humble and seeking to be humble. I simply come before God and I say, Lord, I'm empty. I'm broken. I don't see how you could use me. But if you are going to use me, I need you to work. 
And when we present ourselves empty before God, recognizing I still need to be humbled, God does continue the work. And he continues his purging work, stripping away, in Gideon's case, the 20,000 men and then the, down to 300 men. And I believe in all of us as believers, God is continuing to do that purging work. But if we are to be used of God, we must allow that purging work. We must allow God to continue to reduce us that he might be glorified. But not only does God use those who are truly emptied of self, God uses those to trust, who trust him enough to obey him unreservedly. It's not enough to, to say, I cannot do anything of my own strength, John 15, for without me you can do nothing. That's an important place to start, but we must go further, and we must trust him. I love your memory verse. That goes great with, with the message, but Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And I believe humility in Scripture is always tied to obedient faith. I'm just going to list a few examples. Maybe you can remember them. Abel, to me, he seemed humble, and he obeyed God. Abraham, David, Paul, Job. And these men, it's just not a coincidence that these men who were humble were also obedient to God. But look uh, back in our, ch- in our text in chapter 6, verse 13. We find, because God did use him, Gideon did have to trust him, but we also find that Gideon didn't start out trusting God as he should have. Gideon said, O oh my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. And do you sense a stirring, unshakable faith in Gideon right there? I don't. Uh, Questions. Lord, my life is a mess. My country is a mess. We're supposedly your people. I don't understand. And though Gideon's faith was wavering at best, God did a work to grow Gideon's faith. And God develops Gideon's faith. And I, uh, I, take, I take encouragement from that because I understand that the fact that God would work so graciously in Gideon's life means that God does not only call me to just callously uh, just have faith, but God grows faith in our lives if we'll trust him and obey him. And so as we look at Gideon, who became the man of faith, um, how did that happen? Well, if you're like me, when I think of Gideon, I think of Gideon as the man who asked for signs. And um, look in chapter 6, verse 17. And he said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. In chapter 6, verses 36. And Gideon said unto God, If thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said, behold, I will put a fleece of wool in the floor. 
And if the dew be on the fleece only, and it be dry upon all the earth beside, then shall I know that thou wilt save all Israel by my hand, as thou hast said. And then he asks, of course, the reverse sign. And so sometimes I wonder, Lord, how, how can my faith grow? And Gideon is a man who's not rich in faith, and so Gideon is a man of struggling faith, and, and he comes to the Lord with a list of signs, and Lord, you prove yourself faithful, and I'll follow you, and then I'll trust you. And much to my amazement, God answers the signs. And sometimes I wonder, is it, is it okay for, for, me to, for me to ask God of a sign? I'll share a personal example in just a minute. But um, I, I believe that, uh, that God does answer signs. I mean, just looking throughout, throughout Scripture, Hezekiah was assured that his life would be extended in, in 2 Kings. And Hezekiah said unto Isaiah, What shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me, and that I shall go into the house of the Lord the third day? And, so, and then Isaiah says, The Lord will grant you that sign. And then there's another king, King Ahaz, where, where Isaiah says, ask of the Lord a sign, and, and Ahaz says, I won't ask of the Lord a sign, I'm not going to tempt the Lord. And I'm simply demonstrating that I don't believe that God always says no if we ask the Lord of a sign. He does sometimes say no. You'll, re you'll remember Matthew chapter 12, where the Pharisees, who were skeptics of Christ, they said, Master, we would show thee a sign. We, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered, and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And so the fact that God would so graciously and mercifully meet me where I am at my faith, and he would give the sign to Gideon, and he would give the sign to Hezekiah, it, it just means that God is gracious, and God is wanting to grow our faith. But could I suggest to you, there's a better way to grow faith. And we see it from the example of Gideon. See, that God did want to grow Gideon's faith, yet the requested signs that were granted did little to strengthen Gideon's faith. Though God was so gracious and merciful, and it, it almost, it really seems when Gideon asked for the third sign, um, in verse 39 of chapter 6, and Gideon said unto God, Let not thine anger be hot against me, and I will speak but this once. Let me prove, I pray thee, but this once with the fleece. Let it now be dry only upon the fleece, and upon all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, for it was dry upon the fleece only, and there was dew on all the ground. God did grant the, uh, the signs. But I could, could I just point out that after the first sign, Gideon uh, fears death, and the Lord has to tell him, Gideon, you're not going to die, in, in chapter 6. After the second sign, Gideon still wants another sign. After the third sign, Gideon finally, it seems reluctantly, arranges an army and basically gets as many men as possible, not truly trusting God. We see in the character of Gideon, I think the same case could be made in the, in the uh, case of Hezekiah, because following that instant, Hezekiah's life does not go, his faith does not grow, it seems to go down uh, following that. But most clearly in the life of Gideon, requested signs did little to strengthen Gideon's faith. But we also understand that Gideon was a man who obeyed God. 
And I would make the case that it was as Gideon obeyed God, his faith was strengthened far more. And just for sake of time, I'll just review. Remember, the first, the first assignment was to, astout, was to break down uh, Baal, the, the, the offering and the altar to Baal. And um, Gideon obeys God. And that, that altar was owned by his father. And Gideon should have died, and they tried to kill him. And yet it was his own father who owed that altar. Uh, who saved his life, and his name is changed. And now not only because God has preserved him in obedience, not only does Gideon trust God, now his father trusts God. But then in chapter 7, God does, uh, as, as Gideon obeys God, and he, he approaches the Midianites, I believe, mo- beside all the signs that Gideon requested, God had his own plan of growing Gideon's faith, which was far better. And chapter 7, verse 9 we have the, uh, the Midianite dream. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Arise, get thee down into the host, for I have delivered into thine hand. But if thy f- thou fear to go down, go with fear of thy servant down to the host. And thou shalt hear what they shall say, and afterward shall thy hands be strengthened to go down unto the host. Then went he down with fear, his servant unto the outside of the armed men that were in the host. And the Midianites and the Malachites and all the children of the east lay along the valley like grasshoppers for multitude, and their camels were without number, and the sand by the seaside for multitude. And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told him a dream unto his fellow, and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian, and came unto a tent, and smote it, that it fell and overturned it that the tent lay along. And his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. For into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the host. And it was so that when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof, that he worshipped and returned into the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand, the host of Midian. And it's amazing that Gideon didn't have to request the signs. Why? Because God had his own plan. God had his own way of how he was going to inspire and and grow and mature Gideon's faith to where he could charge an enemy, innumerable enemy, 120,000 with 300. And I would like to make that application to all of our lives. So often, we, we... ask for signs, and we give the Lord specifics, and we say, Lord, if you'll do this for me, then I'll believe. And and I'm asking for God to work in my way, and sometimes he does, because he's merciful and he's gracious. But God has a better way, and God has a deeper way, and God has a richer way that he is working in our lives to grow us to a a deeper faith where we will, with more courage and boldness, step out in obedience to his will. And so often, I'm like Gideon, and I say, Lord, if if you're with us, why has all this happened to us? And I don't see that God's hand is unconsciously preparing my faith. And so I'm asking and asking myself this morning, do, do you trust God? Are you allowing him? to trust, to grow your faith. 
We see in the example of Gideon, not God did not build a passive faith, but an active faith. And that miracle where, where God calls Gideon to the Midianite camp and he allows him to hear the dream and the interpretation, that would never have been experienced if Gideon had not attacked the altar of Baal. And I'm reminded that it is a wonderful privilege for the great privilege of my life to have an Ebenezer. Hither hath, hitherto hath the Lord helped me. It's so wonderful. It's irreplaceable. When God works in your life and he proves himself faithful for you, and it's your testimony of his deliverance. But we won't have those testimonies if we don't start out by faith. And God does not build an unbelieving faith. God builds a mustard seed faith. And when I start out and I say, Lord, well, this is, I just know you're going to be faithful here. God proves himself faithful and God grows our faith. And so we see in the life of Gideon, yes, we must be humble, but we also must trust God implicitly. We must step out by faith. How do we have that faith? If we'll trust him and if we'll let him and if we'll obey him, he'll grow that faith in our lives. But not only was obedience the key to a growing faith, obedience was the key to the expression of his faith. And God called Gideon to act in raw faith to the faithfulness of his word. Gideon's journey was one of faith entirely. How would a nation ever follow him? You remember, you may remember the stories of chapters 7 and 8, Penuel and Sukkoth, if I'm saying that right. And they said, hey, we're not following you. Um, Zeba and Zulmina are not in your hands. And so it kind of demonstrates how would a nation ever follow him because that's the culture of the day. How could he ever be sure that God would be with him who had such lapses in faith? How would he defeat a vastly superior force and with what weapons? They, were, they brought trumpets. And the list could go on. There are no answers for that question. It is only faith. We must step out. And, if, and the only thing that Gideon had was that God had called him and God had said he would be with him. And be so in faith to the faithfulness of God's word. I'm so glad to read Gideon did obey. And we must trust not only in God, but we must trust in his faithfulness to his word. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24 Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Hebrews 11, chapter 11, speaking of Sarah, says, Through faith also Sarah received strength to conceive seed, and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. And Gideon's faith was not merely a faith in God, uh, not, it wasn't a vague faith in God. It was a precise faith in the revealed word and promise of God. And when we have God's word, our faith is as real as our obedience to it. And when we step out, yes, there's times of great vulnerability. I believe if Gideon would have drawn boundaries of safety, God could not have used him. And so we must live lives of faith. We must live lives where we don't understand. It doesn't make sense what God's called us to do, but we trust his word. And it is only then that we can be used of God. But not only did Gideon trust God, 
Not only was Gideon emptied of self and allowed God to empty him further, not only did Gideon allow God to, to grow in his heart an unstirring faith, a stirring, an unquenchable faith. Um, thirdly, God uses those who constantly reflect all glory to God alone. Look at chapter 7, verse 15. And it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof that he worshipped and returned into the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. And so I believe the precursor to public praise is private worship. And outside that tent in the Midianite camp, Gideon had a heart-to-heart with God and he worshipped the Lord. And it seems that God got a hold of his heart and he said, Lord, you are God and you can do this. And God worked in his life. And I'm reminded that if in my life I only publicly praise God and there is not an equal private worship of God, it's a show. And it's just words. And I see in Gideon that before he was able to publicly praise God, he privately worshipped God. And that's I want to bring glory to God, but it searches my heart to, am I, am I bringing him glory in the closet of prayer? S- David said in Psalms, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And so, not only as Gideon, did Gideon reflect worship and glory to God through private worship, but also through an act of faith. And notice uh, what he cried in chapter uh, 7, verse 16. Sorry, chapter 7, verse 18. When I blow with a trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpets also. And every side of all the camp, and say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And so we see a a beautiful picture here in Gideon as he's outside the Midianite camp and he hears the interpretation. He says, this can be none other than the sword of Gideon. And yet you'll uh, remember throughout the entire uh, account of this, the one weapon they did not have was swords. I believe it's verse 8 uh, verse 8 of chapter 7, uh, they, they give their, their weapons, and it's not a sword, it's a trumpet. And so people took the victuals, or food, in their hand, provisions, and their trumpets. And so we see God sent them to battle with trumpets. And yet, the interpretation was the sword of Gideon. And I believe when, when Gideon said, okay, this is our cry, the sword of the Lord, end of Gideon, I have no sword. Gideon was saying, the sword, my sword, is the faithfulness of God. And my trust is the faithfulness of God. And can I remind you that as we approach life, and as we approach the calling of God upon our lives with faith, saying, I don't know how this is going to happen, but I know God's called me, and I know He's able, actively we give God glory. And as we, we trust God and His faithfulness, and we allow and we rest on the Lord. Uh, Gideon's 
proclamation of the sword of the Lord is much like David as he charges Goliath. And this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword or spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into the Lord's. How do we reflect glory to God? Through private worship, through active faith, but also through public praise. Chapter 8, verse 22, which we read as we began. The battle is over, and the Jewish Israelite nation offer him uh, rulership, and Gideon rejects it because of the premise Verse 22, Rule thou over us, both thou and thy son, and thy son's son also, for thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. And Gideon rebukes their declaration. He says, No, it's not me. I didn't win the victory. I was present. But Gideon says, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. If you're calling me to lead because I delivered you, well then it is the Lord who's going to lead. Because he's the one who delivered you, not I. We understand that Gideon instantly and zealously reflected all glory to God. I believe if we make ourselves available to the Lord and truly in sincere sincere humility say, Lord, I'm available and I'm not anything special, but, but I want to be used of you. I want to obey you. If we're empty... And I believe if we trust God and trust his word, I believe he will use us. But I believe he will only continue to use us as we reflect all glory to him. The great test of humility is not before the battle. It is after the victory. And I love that Gideon, even though God worked a great victory and he could have been ruler of a nation, He was constrained, and he was zealous, and he was purposeful and intentional to give all glory to God. And in closing, I'd like to just demonstrate, not only did Gideon reflect all glory to God, but God gave honor to Gideon. As I was studying this message, in chapter 7, verse 18... I was reading a few of the commentators. There's a few of the commentators who who really begin to criticize Gideon because of the proclamation. And it almost appears, has a ring of presumption, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Why did he put his own name in there? Why did God allow him to put his name in there? Well, I believe because of um, after the battle, he reflected the glory to God. I don't think that Gideon was trying to say, hey, well, I get part of the recognition too. I don't think that was his heart. If uh, Just practically thinking, it's a lot easier to praise God before the battle than after the battles. So I don't think that was his heart. But I do believe that God allowed Gideon to express his name because when we reflect all glory to God, let me say it this way, only when we are committed to reflect all glory to God can we experience the honor that comes from God only. There is an honor that comes from God. Matthew chapter 23, verse 12, Whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And Jesus asked, and he said, How can ye believe which receive honor one of another, And seek not the honor that cometh from God only. And I'm just trying to demonstrate that when we come to the place in our lives 
where we reflect all glory to God and we exalt God and we, we, we just, we're just reflecting to him, then I believe God looks and he says, there is a person who I can honor and there is a person who I can use. And we find Gideon in the hall of faith. How is it that Gideon could be mentioned? How is it that God can use us and then honor us? It is only as we reflect glory to him. Not unto us, but to his name be glory forever and ever. Who is it that God uses? I believe God wants to use us. I believe God wants to use you. But only as we come to the place where we're broken, and then we continually come back to the place as God works in our lives and purges us, where I'm still broken, and I'm still empty. And then as God grows that experience of faith which worketh experience and hope we grow and we trust God and we obey God and the measure of faith is not my expression of faith the measure of faith is my obedience to God and as I step out where he's called me and he's placed me I say Lord I can't do it but I believe that you can and then only can I continue to experience God's deliverance as I truly and sincerely reflect, as Gideon did, all glory to him. And it is only then, I believe, that we can be used of God. You could just bow your heads. We'll just, uh, please, we'll just take a moment to pray. And uh, if you could just talk to the Lord, and maybe he's convicting you or about something that <clears throat> in your life. And maybe he's encouraging you. Maybe he's challenging you. But if the Lord is leading you, would you please just talk to the Lord? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your goodness to us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for using ordinary people like Gideon to do your great work for your great glory. Father, I pray you would help us to be usable, help us to be available, and then, Father, to know the privilege of making a difference, of being used of you for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.